Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 63 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Tom Mile about information governance. Information governance. Sam swears this is a much more interesting topic than it sounds. It totally is, I promise. Today's podcast is sponsored by Clio. Lawyers, it's time to let your mind do what it was trained to do, practice law. You need Clio, the leading legal practice management software to help you take care of the business side of running your practice. Find out more and sign up for a free trial at Clio.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answers our phones at Lawyers, so we don't have to worry about getting interrupted when we're being productive, and we love the job they do for us. You can visit Ruby at callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial. And if you enjoy the show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast to help us keep new episodes coming every week. So this week, Aaron, uh, one of our writers, Sam Harden, introduced me to a little productivity hack that I want to share. Oh, I it love is, those. Yeah, it is meetanotherday.com. And the basic premise is you hook it up to your Google Calendar you tell it how much time you'd like to keep free on your calendar, and it gives you decoy meetings to put on your calendar. Decoys being blocked off time when nobody else can schedule a meeting so that you can actually get some work done during your day. Um, why, um, why, <laughs> uh, why couldn't you just block off time on your calendar? So you obviously can. But if you're like me and like most people who do this, you look at that blocked off time and you know it's blocked off time. And so you just go ahead and schedule things anyway. Um, I, I think the idea behind this is it it may even be a decoy for you so that you don't even you don't realize it until you get close that, hey, this is actually time when I can get work done. But but won't you realize it when you look at your calendar for the day and it says noon to four meet with Shirley and you've never heard of a Shirley or that you get to noon for your meeting with Shirley and then are really confused why she isn't there. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You just show up and sit, you're just sitting in the conference room twiddling your thumbs and playing Minecraft on your phone. So this reminds me a few years ago, I signed up for snowboarding lessons um, and decided to do midday, middle of the day, weekday lessons. Um, and they were listed as board meeting. <laughs> and so the, the calendar invites they sent you for your snowboarding lessons said board meeting from nice. noon to two every Wednesday for six weeks. Well, and I assume every once in a while, like someone actually had that as their excuse. Well, uh, there you go. You've just hacked the productivity hack. I like if it. You, if you need to, if you're a snowboarder or a skateboarder, you can just have board meetings. Yeah, I, I don't know that you need this tool to do it, but um, if Can you I, need... I'm, I'm going to say you definitely don't need this tool. It's no, you It's super don't. cute and clever and totally worthless. Probably, yeah. But blocking off time, totally valuable. Yes, yeah. If you need to get things done, you can't do that during meetings. So Especially yes, if definitely... you're in, your, in a firm with that's really meeting happy and loves to have meetings and things. Mm -hmm. Yep, so board meetings every noon. All right, 
I that I mean, I still think it's totally worth doing that. Um, and that said, <laughs> here is my conversation with Tom. Hi, everybody. My name is Tom Mile. I am the Vice President of Delivery Services at Contoral Inc. We're an information governance consulting group. Prior to becoming a consultant, I practiced as a lawyer in Dallas, Texas. I was a litigator for 18 years. I am a volunteer and member of the ABA's Law Practice Division, having served as chair of ABA Tech Show and as the chair of the division itself back in 2011. So I'm involved a lot in helping lawyers with technology and law practice management issues. And you forgot, also a podcaster. I am a podcaster. Dennis Kennedy and I have the Kennedy Mile Report podcast. Uh, we po- we t- do a podcast about once every two weeks on whatever legal technology issues uh, seem to be tickling our fancy at the moment. And people can find that at LegalTalkNetwork.com, right? LegalTalkNetwork.com uh, or in the iTunes uh, store or in your favorite podcast app. Awesome. So, uh, in the middle of that, uh, there you mentioned information governance. And uh, when we met at Tech Show... Um, well, when we saw each other at Tech Show, you wanted we wanted to do a podcast and we were talking about what to do and you mentioned that that's probably boring and we don't want to talk about it and I was like, whoa, 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 I totally do want to talk about it. <laughs> so, so what? It, tell us what that is. What is information governance? So let's start at the at the at the beginning and say that information governance is not a new term, but it is a newer term than what most lawyers would be familiar with, which is records management. And records management is the paper uh, the paper version of information governance uh-huh. is how to take the stuff that you have, all the records that you keep, all the information that's in uh, paper format, electric form, electronic format, audio, video, anything that documents the business that you conduct and it's how do we get control of this information? And it's called information governance because it takes a whole bunch of different uh, of disciplines into consideration. First, figuring out what you have, where you have it, how long you need to keep it, both for legal reasons, for any regulatory reasons, or for just plain business requirements. Um, you've got uh, discovery considerations. If you ever get sued and you need to produce information, how do you do that in a, in a defensible way? And then it also also talks about, uh, it also considers the privacy issues, how to keep specific information um, segregated and protected, both to protect your clients, to protect your practice, um, and and to protect your own intellectual property. So, I didn't know I was doing information governance when I first started going paperless (laughs) and started realizing that I I needed to keep everything more or less in one place. And I, I know a lot of lawyers who don't, couldn't tell me where all their information is, right? Because some of it's on their home computer, some of it's on their phone, some of it's on their laptop, some of it their associate might have taken home on a USB drive and maybe it's in a sock drawer. Um, and so, those are, that's just a piece of the problem though, right? Getting all your data in one place is only step one. That's just step one is, 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 well, it's, and it's not necessarily getting it all in one place. It's knowing where it all is. Right. Uh, it, 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 I think that having the ability to centralize your information in as few places as possible is good. Uh, we work a lot with corporations who, to, you know, take all of those things you just talked about, the sock drawer, the USB drive, and multiply that times a thousand or two thousand right. or three thousand employees. And that's a lot of sock drawers that you have to worry about. And from a legal standpoint, 
point, the general counsel's office really gets nervous when they think about all of this information in all of these different places because um, you may not know where it is when you need to produce it at any particular time. Now, if, if you're not worried about litigation, if, if you're not worried about, uh, uh, about having to produce something in discovery, then where you might keep information is maybe less of a concern. Well, I don't know but- because like I need, to, I need to have the file, capital F, file, right? And I have to be able to produce it to my client at some point. And if that, if, if consolidating the file and giving it to my client involves, oh, shoot, I forgot that I had some documents on a USB drive in my sock drawer, that's not good. No, you're right. And when it comes to, and when it comes to the client file, I agree with you. Having that in as centralized a repository as possible is important. But law firm documents take up so many other areas. Oh, You've yeah. got human resource documents to the extent that you have staff members. You've got finance documents to the extent that you're keeping your finances in the company. And so keeping all of that information tends to wind up in all sorts of different places. So you're right. I think that that the, the main thing is to keep like records in like places so that you're not having to do. But I mean, it, it, it's interesting when we have this discussion because uh, when I talk to corporations about keeping records, um, they don't have that um, attorney-client relationship to worry about. Where well, but, here, yeah. here having that having that information um, in one place really has has legal consequences to it by being able to produce the entire file over to a client if they ask for it. And and there's the practical stuff like uh, Aaron and I have uh, been talking about what happens if you know I am lost in the Bermuda Triangle. Um, how does he find all of the documents that, about lawyers that I have and vice versa? How do I make sure that, you know, he's generating information every day? Um, how do I make sure that I have access to what he does so that if something happens to him, we can keep our company running? And uh, so, here, so here's a scary here's a scary truth is that. Um, most companies don't know how to deal with the, with what I call the data of departing employees. Mm-hmm. It, it, most IT departments in, in, in firms or in companies, they've got a policy set up so that once an employee leaves, they delete their email after 30 days, they, sh- they take their computer, they wipe the hard drive, and they, they say that they talk to their managers and say, you know, go and look at them, their, their information. But I would say nine times out of 10, nobody's ever paying attention to where the stuff goes for people who I usually either say win the lottery or get run over by a bus, depending on how much <laughs> I like the person. But, um, but that's usually, um, that, that's, that's a huge issue. And I think that that's not any different in the law firm and probably to a certain extent could be more critical in a law firm. If you are working on information for a client and somebody leaves and you don't know how to get to their stuff. So bottom line, you need to think about your data a little bit and you need to think and and this is something you said to me right before we started recording, which is you think law firms are really behind the curve. And I, I think we've just demonstrated that <laughs> by our conversation. But but so what do I mean, how do we get started? What do we do and, and what, what should we be thinking about? So law firms are behind the curve primarily because, uh, in general, lawyers tend to want to keep information as long as they possibly can. Um, it, well, that, that we was see, my reaction when I went paperless. I just said, oh, storage is cheap. I'll just keep this stuff forever. That's right. I'll just keep it forever. And, and, and what we find is, is that while storage is cheap, the, the, the soft cost of managing and finding the information that in it winds up taking a, a toll over time as you have to find, uh, you have to search through more and more things if it's not classified appropriately. So where you really start is, uh, you know, we recommend that you put together some type of, we call it a data map for, for, for firms that are smaller. It's probably not in terms of a map, more like a spreadsheet and say, 
where are the repositories that hold information and what kind of information is in these locations, uh, we like to think of things in three different three different types of information. We think of structured data as being within um, a, a system or a database. So, if you have a time and billing system, that tends to be structured information. Sure. Um, the second one is unstructured data. Your unstructured information are your Word documents and your Excel spreadsheets and your PDF files that you're either keeping on your on your computer hard drive or if you have a shared network drive, then you're keeping them there. Uh, email is is what I would call semi-structured. It's a little bit of both. It's It's got a structured format to it, but it's also residing in a database um, to the extent that, depending on what email program that you use. And it's trying to figure out what type of information we have, because that's then going to basically tell you how best to manage it. Because what I what, once you find, figure out what you've got, then you have to figure out, well, how long do I need to keep all this stuff? Should I be keeping it all for a per- the right period of time? And, and there's uh, there are some recommendations. I mean, your malpractice provider has one, but are there some sort of general best practices around how long to keep different types of data? So, in terms of your legal documents, I'm probably not as much of an expert on the individual retention requirements of every state on how long you need to keep client files. Um, so, I'm going to leave that to you to, <laughs> to, to check with your state bar, each lawyer listening to this, to check with your state bar on how long specific types, because it's going to depend on whether it's a probate case or whether it's litigation or whatever the, 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 the type is. But there are best practices for the other kinds of documents that you have. For, for example, um, if, you ha- if you hire people for your staff, um, the typical retention Retention period for personnel records is um, is it what we call an event-based record. That event is the termination of the employee. The employee leaves the company voluntarily or involuntarily. You generally keep those records for another six years to make sure that there's no litigation. There's nothing that comes up after that fact. Six years is the generally the best practice for how long you're going to keep those kinds. Because there aren't many statutes and limitations that go beyond six years. That's exactly right. It's usually to cover the longest statute that would cover employment law cases. Um, another best practice that's simple is finance records. In general, finance records are seven years. That's just how it is and how it's been. It has a lot to do with um, tax uh, and, and the auditing period and the auditing cycles that the IRS has. Mm-hmm. But um, most finance records that I see um, are seven years. Some, some of the companies we work with like to keep them a little bit longer for 10 years. But those are examples of best practices. Um, uh, generally, the legal documents that you have have, um, are not going to be what I call time-based records. Mm-hmm. Like I just mentioned, the, the finance one, that's a straight seven years. So the minute you create that document, the clock starts ticking. Seven years later, you can get rid of that document. Most legal documents are going to be event-based. There's going to be a trigger that starts that retention period going. And this is where I, I, I rely on you to, to figure out how long <laughs> how long that, re, that, that retention it's period pr- needs to be after the trigger. It's probably 10 years. Like uh, my malpractice provider is a national one and and their, theirs is 10 years. And that's the longest statute of limitations plus uh, a cushion for tolling, basically. So, so I will say that unless you're dealing with environmental records, which have like 30 to 40 year oh, sure. retention periods, <laughs> um, 10 years is about the longest retention period that I see on most any record. And so that would, I think, be a reasonable period of time to, to keep its close of case or um, end of relationship with client or, you know, something something along those lines. Plus the 10 years, I think, is a very reasonable retention period. Well, and what we're talking about here is the reason that you need to have a document instruction policy. And you do. Everyone should, right? I mean. You, you should have one. That is correct. There needs to, and, and, and what I see with the, the, the clients that we work with is they have a policy on how to keep records, but they don't have a policy on how to get rid of records. Um, they, 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 
tell people that here's how you need to keep them, but they don't give permission to get rid of them. And so people feel like they don't. And uh, and it, we think a good retention policy says um, you're going to keep this for as long as the business or legal requires it. And then we're going to get rid of it in, in accordance with our policy. And that is defensible. And, and so yeah, the reason is that if you get sued, whether it's a malpractice claim, an employment discrimination claim, whatever, um, and let's say the weekend before you were sitting in your garage and you decided you finally wanted to get rid of these stacks of documents or you were, um, you were trying to clean out some stuff on your computer and you're like, oh, this stuff is 15 year old, I, years old, I can get rid of it. And then a week later you get sued and you just happen to have deleted all of that stuff. Now you're going to have to justify that. And if you have a policy and you're like, yeah, I, just, I was just doing it um, the same way I do it every three months or every year, I was just deleting stuff or on a rolling basis, my system automatically deletes it. That's easy. You've just you've just established your, your procedures. But if you just happen to do it once every on an irregular basis, whenever the mood strikes you, that's going to be harder for you to get a, to explain, right? That, that's right. I mean, if you every 15 years, you just have a cleanup day and you decide to trash things. I, I can quote a, a number of cases where companies have been sanctioned because they held actual cleanup days right before they sued someone else <laughs> with the express pr- express uh, purpose of getting rid of stuff that might be relevant. And so you're right. It is. I've always thought that, you know, it, I, sometimes I'll say that not having a policy is better than having one you don't follow. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think that having a policy that you follow is still the best the best practice of all and and making sure uh, we have a, a lot of clients who have regulators that come to them and if if they haven't you know the most regulators will say give me your last three years but then if they say well how many years do you go back and they say well we actually haven't thrown things away for eight years and regulators will say well even though we only need three years let's take a look at all of it <laughs> that's probably not something that the lawyers have to worry about as much but I, I would argue in a lawsuit who knows if, if, if a discovery request comes in and, and there's information on other things that might be relevant going back further if you've still got it it's fair game We're going to take two minutes from our sponsors, and when we come back, I want to talk about the second piece of that, which is not having procedures, but complying with your own procedures. Today, we journey to the center of a lawyer's mind. This is Jeff. I'm stepping into his brain now. Jeff's brain is working on the case of a lifetime. Unfortunately, it's distracted with scheduling issues, documents, and timesheets. We need to act fast. I'm giving Jeff Clio, the cloud-based system that manages a lawyer's day-to-day operations. Clio handles your cases, billing, appointments, accounting. Everything you need to run your practice. There. That's better. With Clio, Jeff's brain can focus on what Jeff does best. Get the law practice manager more lawyers trust. Sign up for a free trial at clio.com slash lawyer or call 844-500-CLIO. That's 844-500-CLIO. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone. 
which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. And we're back. And Tom, you had just said uh, something which hopefully is <laughs> it registered with people is really important. It's one thing to have the procedures, but it's really important to follow them. Um, is that usually a manual process or can it, can that be automated in, in some, in, at least in some respects? So here's the, uh, the tough answer to this is that, in my opinion, it should be automated. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that for s solo lawyers, for small firms, it's really hard to automate this in a way that makes sense mm. uh, based on the technology that you have. So, so what we typically will see, and I'll, I'll give an example, Office 365 has come out with some really good tools for records management. Mm. And, when you and when you combine them with something like SharePoint, you can actually automate both the retention of email and the retention of your unstructured, your Word documents, your Excel spreadsheets, all of those, you can automate them fairly um, with, with just a little bit of tweaking and some policy administration to your Office 365 account. So like automatically and, delete my emails older than five years or three years. Correct. But actually, we can do it more granular than that. So you can actually say, you can actually open up an email and then you'll have a little pull down menu that says, um, this is related to the Jones case, or this is just litigation and I can file it in the Jones folder, or um, this is a finance uh, document, it's an invoice that I need to keep, or this is an HR record re relating to some performance review. And you can actually tag your email by the retention category that you hopefully have established as part of your retention schedule. So you can put a little manual in with your automatic. That's right. And then you can, behind the scenes, the policy can be configured to say, I'm going to keep this record for seven years. I'm going to keep this invoice for seven years and automatically delete it when it comes to the end of that period of time. So you don't, you know, that we, we, the, the used to be before technology could do this, it used to be that you would have kind of a big bucket approach to deletion. Mm -hmm. You'd have a three year bucket and a five year bucket and a 10 year bucket. You can actually be a lot more granular in, in tools like Outlook and SharePoint and really delete and, and have information deleted on a regular schedule based on what the retention schedule actually says for that record rather than rounding up to the to the next highest retention period. So if you're like me and you're always looking for reasons not to use Microsoft Office, there's actually a really <laughs> good reason to use it. Um, I've I've relied on Google Apps for my sort of my my email and my doc syncing backend for years, and it has a very simple um, document destruction policy. You can set the time limit for deleting emails, but you can't. I don't think you can do it granularly in that way. Um, and and I, I thought it, it worked fine for me, but um, now that I hear you talking about that, I, I'm getting kind of excited about that. But, but here's, the, here's the real issue. The issue is, and, and this is what makes really a challenge when you get to smaller firms, is that when we've seen when you give people a manual process 
they're not going to follow it for one of a couple of reasons. <laughs> one, they have a day job and they have other and better things to do than go and delete email or delete records. Two, they don't want to really. They really don't want to delete things. If they, if given the opportunity, they're not going to delete that's them. And scary. that's why the, the automated, <laughs> it is scary, but the automated, we find that in a lot of companies, um, change management, behavior change management is really one, probably the most important thing that we do is, is teaching people to let go and to say it's not a problem if you get rid of some of these records and you can actually feel a lot of liberation and a lot of freedom by by complying with your retention schedule but that's the challenge is, is that you're right gmail has got that capability and and most of the tools that, that we have you can go into your to, to, to the, your file folders on your laptop and you can delete records that are you know older than than 10 or whatever years old but the chances that you will actually go do it tend to decrease based on your desire and or your time. Well, and if you think about it, I suppose um, there are tools, uh, you know, like for Macs, there's, um, I think it's called Hazel. Um, there, I'm sure there are comparable tools for Windows where you can just say, you know, um, here is my set of rules. And if I, you know, delete these things that I've categorized this way on this schedule and other things on another schedule. So if you do, if you're true solo and you do all your work off one laptop, um, it seems to me pretty easy to actually do all this so you spend a couple of hours automating it, or you can spend a couple of hours every quarter or every month or every year um, digging through your stuff and trying to figure out what to delete. Seems like a no-brainer to do a little prep and set up some automation. <laughs> I think it's well, I think it's a no-brainer, but I will I would say I am not familiar with any tools in the Windows environment that will let you do that. Oh, that really? are simple okay. to set up. I mean, I think Hazel is and I and I've I've played with Hazel on my Mac, um, but and, and so I think that setting up rules like that is I, I, I agree. If you've got the capability to do it, then you should. But the Windows world is not as I would need to think about whether there are really manual automation or I mean, those, those I won't call them smaller automation tools, but there probably are is not the availability of those that there would be for uh, for the Mac. Interesting. It does sound like you can uh, do a lot of really neat stuff in Office 365, though. Um let me well, I mean, frank, frankly, if you get if you get an Office 365 account, you automatically get a SharePoint account as part right. of that. You automatically get access to SharePoint. I, I am not uh, as far as assuming the personal you're using the business versions, which well, you right. need to be. <laughs> right. And if you're using the business versions, then you should have an administrative control panel that you may need to get a little help to configure it. It may, it may, you know, you may need a little bit of advice on how that happens, but I understand that it's fairly straightforward to be able to configure that. And if you feel particularly daring, um, you know, SharePoint now has a discovery center where you can apply legal holds and where you can hold information that is on legal hold or things that you need to review in the case you ever get sued or you're having to review documents that you need to review in discovery. So I'm glad you brought up legal holds because um, that is something that doesn't, uh, I don't think, gets get on the radar of solo smalls quite so much. And consequently, we're not really sure how to do one. Um, but it's my understanding that uh, legal holds get more and more. I mean, the basic idea is somebody sues you and now you've got to identify all of the stuff that might apply to that lawsuit and hold on to it. You've got to stop it from getting automatically deleted um, and you've got to organize it in case you actually need to produce it is the general that's idea, right? That's right. The, 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 your, your policy should say that the one thing that trumps the schedule and, and, the, and the enforcement of the policy is a legal hold. And, and what's interesting about that is that it, it suspends retention for not just records, but also what I would call non-records, disposable information. So there's a lot of stuff that 
lawyers produce that um, you, they don't need to keep, but they keep. And I, I put it into the category of you just never know when I need this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would, I would put things like convenience copies, things that they don't really need to keep. They're just keeping because it's convenient. Drafts. Once you some drafts you need to keep from for legal reasons. There are some drafts that need to happen. But if I'm doing you know a presentation to the bar association and I do ten drafts of it and I keep all ten drafts, that's a waste of space and a waste of time. Um, but but that and then also there are certain working documents associated with tasks that we do that once that task is over, we don't need to keep all that stuff. But when a legal hold is in place, you got to keep all of it. The Hmm. court's going to be interested in both your records, all the things that have business value and the non-records. And you've got to be able to know where it all is. And you've got to be able to make sure that it's not destroyed throughout that whole pendency of that legal hold. And it seems to me like the process probably goes, somebody sues my firm um, let's say it's a disgruntled employee accuses me of employment discrimination or violating the employment contract. They sue me. Um, step one is essentially to hold everything. Step two is to figure out what actually needs to be held and release the stuff that probably doesn't need to be held. But then that that second hold just kind of goes on until we're done with the case, right? What I like to say is when when you get notice that makes you think that you're going to be sued, uh, then you need to look at look at whether or not uh, the first decision is, should I issue a legal hold? The second is. Um, if it's just me, if I'm a solo lawyer, that's pretty easy. You don't have to issue a legal hold notice to yourself. <laughs> just um, turn although, off your automatic uh, destruction systems. Uh, right. Although I, although I would probably document it somewhere, I would say on this date, I began to preserve information in the case r- titled whatever, um, so that you can document that to the court to make mm-hmm. sure that they know when you started enforcing your own legal hold. But it's a matter of identifying who are the people that might know stuff? So if you have more than one person in your office, are there other people who would be called, quote, custodians to the information? And then what are the right repositories? Is this all going to be on my hard drive on my computer? Will I need to produce time and billing records that are within my time and billing system? So identifying all the relevant repositories is the second step. And then figuring out how to put a hold on all of that is the third step. And some, I, I you know, frankly, in cases like this, and with small firms, um, the best move is to do what I would call a collector preserve. So let's go grab all of it, preserve it somewhere where it's not going to get hurt, and and then I don't have to worry about it where it's living right now. There are some systems that can preserve it in place, mm-hmm. um, but those are more expensive, more complicated things that probably most lawyers aren't working with already. It seems to me like I would probably just do something like, um, instead of dumping things in the shredder, um, when it comes to paper, I would just start dumping everything into a box <laughs> and, hold, right. and hold on to the contents of that box until I didn't need to anymore. That's right. And the same thing goes with any, I mean, the, the, the same thing goes with your emails. The same thing goes with any unstructured files that you have. I see, I see lots of people will, will segregate them into a separate folder in their email mm-hmm. or put them into a separate folder on a separate piece of their hard drive um, so that they don't get touched or they don't get into other places where you might actually go in and try and do some pruning and cleaning and you might accidentally delete that stuff. Uh, there seems like there's probably another issue that's sort of a creeping issue here if you're not destroying documents and not managing them well, which is that the more stuff you have, the harder it gets to find things. And for a while, this has seemed like not a big deal because um, Mac has Spotlight, Windows has its own indexed search now. I mean, it has for years. Um, and for me, that was like this amazing thing that made being paperless feasible is when Windows finally got its indexed search for desktop when you could just find anything on your hard drive because it was searching it all in the background and giving me my own little Google. Um, 
But the more stuff I've got, the harder that is. And that seems like another problem with keeping too much information is it really slows me down on what I, how finding things and using things. It is. I mean, just think about it. The more stuff you have, the more results you're going to get from a search. Even though Spotlight search is great, whatever, Windows 10 search is also very good. You're going to get back more results. I, I usually see the productivity issue as being even more pronounced in firms that have more than one lawyer. If you're mm-hmm. just a solo, you're only having to look for your own stuff. But what about if you've got a number of lawyers and you're not naming your documents the same, or you're keeping them in different folders, or you have a different filing structure? on your own computer and or maybe you have a shared drive and you keep your stuff in one place and others keep it in another. I, I, when I talked with, with people in, in companies, they say, I know how to find my own stuff pretty well. I just can't find anybody else's stuff. Right. And, and I find that's where it, they tend to be really unproductive. And, and we've actually asked people who've said that they've actually wasted between two and six hours per week just looking through their email, trying to find relevant emails that they have. And never mind how long it takes to find documents or files um, somewhere on a shared drive or on their computer drive. So, how do we, how do you even start to solve that? I mean, obviously, following your own document destruction policy is part of it, but how do you start to get a handle on finding stuff? Well, that's really, I mean, it, there's really not a lot of magic to that. It's, it's struck, it's organize it in the right way. It's, it's have the consistent naming conventions, uh, to find things. You know, the people who say that they are able to find email better are the ones who don't actually go in and, and, uh, and, and type in search words. They actually just use filters mm-hmm. and, and, and filters within Outlook to, to filter by date or by recipient or by attachment. And they can usually find things much faster than if they're putting a search term in that brings a whole bunch of, of documents back because I, I would argue that most people don't know how to do search the way that they really should to get <laughs> right. back the, the best the best uh, the best results um, so uh, naming things consistently na- uh, having a having um, uh, f- using filters instead but then again it really comes down to getting as much stuff out of there as you possibly can that you that you don't need with with lots of companies we um, we recommend that they find ways to classify their information and segregate them by their classification. I don't see that as being as big of an issue for solos and for small firms, but I think that if you have a a consistent way of filing all of your information, then even if you're keeping more of it or you've got a lot, you know, even if you're if even if you're defensively keeping all mm-hmm. of it, um being able to just drill down to it because you've named it all consistently, you know exactly how to get to it is a big help. And you, you did mention something that probably bears reiterating, which is learn how to use your search. <laughs> I mean, um, if you're looking for a document that's been scanned, um, go ahead and exclude anything but PDF documents. Um, you know, know how to find, know how to exclude emails and things like that. And you really can find a lot, a lot more quickly. Um, I'm I'm very much a big bucket kind of guy. I hate to file things until I, I need them, especially with email. And um, you know, just having a few tricks like um, deciding how to how to how to find only the emails related to a particular case um, is really a a good thing to be able to know how to do. Now, I think that I think that knowing how to search is really important. I think that um, it, 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 it what's really nice and and I keep coming back to, to SharePoint. Uh, Share Microsoft has introduced some really really good. I think that one of the knocks on using Outlook Search and SharePoint Search in the past was that it really wasn't very good. Um, they've vastly improved their their search capabilities now, and and uh, in fact we're we're recommending that anybody that's using SharePoint uh, or or using Outlook actually apply the SharePoint point search to Outlook as it's actually a better better search tool than what Outlook itself is. Oh, interesting. 
So, Tom, to wrap up, what are the two or three or four um, soapboxes or the, the things you just feel like you keep beating the drum for when it comes to this? Uh, there's really three, three things, um, that, I mean, there's a bunch, but I would (laughs) narrow it down to three, which is one, have a policy, have a policy on how you create, manage and get rid of your records and say, we're going to create them this way. We're going to, we're going to manage them and we're going to get rid of them in accordance with the law and any requirements that we have for our business. Make sure that you have a retention schedule that says, here are the records that we have. So know what you have, know where they live and how long you are going to keep them before you get rid of them. And then, uh, you know, if it's if it's you, just you, follow that up. Learn how to do it. Get in the habit of doing it. Uh, go out and 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 maybe uh, I'm trying to think of if there are books or courses on doing that. But really, if you've got a firm that's got multiple people, start to socialize the importance of good hygiene with your information <laughs> and good and, and keeping in, in, in the right amount of time and that you are not damaging either your practice or the company by keeping it uh, the right p- amount of time and that there a- that is actually a defensible action that, that you can take to a judge and the judge is going to agree with you. I like information hygiene. Yep. It is important. Well, Tom, thanks so much for being with us today and talking about information governance slash hygiene. Um, this was a really fascinating conversation. I appreciate you having me. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.